Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. You're listening to a special episode of the Beeson Podcast. It's the 300th episode that we have done. We began this ministry on October the 25th in the year 2010. And the very first Beeson Podcast interview was with the great Chuck Colson. We loved him. We miss him so much. He was a great friend of Beeson Divinity School and a great friend of mine. And so we began this podcast ministry with an interview with Chuck. You can go back and listen to that if you want to. It's on our website. Well, today we're going to hear an interview by a great contemporary missionary, Dr. Rebecca Naylor. But before we turn to that, I just wanted to thank all of you for listening so faithfully. We have a growing number of Beeson Podcast listeners all over the world. We're grateful for your listening. We thank you for your communications with us, and we love to hear from you all the time. So thank you so much for your support for this ministry. And now we turn to the podcast for today. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. Well, today I have the privilege of having here in our studio Dr. Rebecca Naylor. She is so uh, widely and affectionately known among uh, God's people as one of the great missionary physicians of our time. She's been called the Mother Teresa of Bangalore because she served for a number of years in India. We're so honored to have you here, Dr. Naylor. Thank you for this conversation. Thank you for the opportunity. Now, I'd like to begin just by asking you to tell a little bit about yourself. Now, I had the privilege of knowing your father, uh, Dr. Robert Naylor, who was a wonderful pastor and preacher and missionary statesman and the president of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary for a number of years. So it was uh, through him, I think, that I first knew about you. He was very proud of you and always talked about how God was using you in India. Tell us a little bit about growing up and your coming to Christ and your background. I did grow up in the home of a Baptist pastor, and I'm very grateful for that. Uh, I was actually about five years old when I came to know Jesus personally as my Savior. Uh, I still remember how excited I was to tell my friends what had happened to me. It was a very significant thing I knew even at age five. I learned about missions all the years I was growing up. We prayed for missionaries at home, and we had missionaries visit in our home. They visited in our church. I was involved in missions organizations in our church, so I learned about what missionaries did and where they were. And But it was when I was 13 years old that during a missions emphasis week in our church, God spoke to me about personal involvement in foreign missions. I was already interested in medicine. I thought I should be a doctor. So it was that medical missions became the focus. At first, I could not imagine that God could use me to do that. I seemed much too small and insignificant for something that I thought was extremely huge and unique. But indeed, God was calling me. And over the months that followed that week, I I just became so very sure of that. Now, you were trained as a surgeon, right? Yes, sir. I became focused on preparing to be a medical missionary and went to college, went to medical school. And it was in my final year of medical school that 
I really became um, interested in surgery mm -hmm. and decided that was the path uh, that God wanted me to take. I uh, had my surgical training in Dallas uh, at University of Texas, uh, Southwestern Medical School. And it was after I completed the residency in surgery that uh, God led me to India. It sounds, you know, it's interesting to me how God calls different people in different ways. And it, hearing you tell your story, it sounds that this was an early calling in your life. It was a clear, definite summons in your life and that you began to move in that path and never look back. Is that the way it happened? That's really the way it happened. I was totally um, focused on that. It didn't occur to me that I would have any reason not to do that. If God had directed it, I assumed he would provide the way to accomplish it. Um, and so I just moved forward. Now, as I say, you've been in India. You were in India for how many years were you there? I lived there almost 30 years. I was actually related there officially through the IMB, the International Mission Board, for 36 years. And you were at Bangalore Medical Hospital, um, which is a Baptist hospital in yes. southern the southern part of India, right? Correct. That's right. Tell us a little bit about Bangalore, the city, the context, and then the hospital itself. Uh, Bangalore is um, the fifth largest city in India. Um, when I arrived there in 1974, it had one and a half million people, and today it is over 10 million. Wow. Uh, Bangalore is the Silicon Valley of Asia. It is the IT capital. Many multinational entities are, are there. Um, the hospital, the Bangalore Baptist Hospital, was established by the uh, International Mission Board of Southern Baptist in 1973. Uh, so it was new when I went, just had been open a few months. Um, the hospital uh, then began with 40 beds, and today it's 300 beds, very much uh, located in the middle of this large urban area but drawing patients from the villages as well. And the hospital last year treated uh, 250,000 patients in its clinics in the hospital, did outreach work in 50 villages and in an urban slum of 75,000 people. So um, it touches the lives of, of countless thousands every year. Some years ago, you and your father wrote a chapter in a book that I and my wife, Denise George, edited about the World Christian Movement. And in there, you make this statement. I want to ask you to comment on it. You, you say, my earliest experiences in India vividly taught me that profession and witness are so totally integrated as to be inseparable. So what do you mean, profession, your, your work as a doctor, as a yes. professional doctor? I think uh, as a Christ follower, that obviously should be, uh, that is part of our identity. Uh, at the same time, part of my identity, of course, was that of being a, a doctor and a surgeon. Um, I think if our lives are, are to be an integrated whole, it would be inevitable that our our spiritual commitment and our professional commitment would be integrated. It, it just follows. So it was not that at certain hours of the day I functioned as a doctor and certain hours I went and did evangelism or whatever. Um, but as I did one, I did the other because it, it is who I am. It is who I am as a, as a follower of Jesus and as a, a professional person. 
You know, another great missionary to India in the 20th century was E. Stanley Jones. He was a Methodist, and he has this great line, which I've always loved. He said, a soul without a body is just a ghost, and a body without a soul is, is a corpse. But God made us to be one person, body and soul. And that's the kind of philosophy that has guided your life and work. And I think we want to hold up as a model for our students and for others that are following the Lord in discipleship and missions all over the world. Uh, I think very much so. I, um, it, it's just a joy. Um, it's a joy to share my faith in Jesus Christ. And obviously, um, as a physician, uh, as I take care of patients, I have a tremendous opportunity uh, to do that. Uh, as I, as patients, of course, quickly gain a trust relationship with me, uh, we're able to have spiritual conversations that I know influence them. Um, and under the guidance of God's Spirit, uh, that often happened. In our culture today, maybe this is more accurate in the West than it is in other places in the world. These these realms are pulled apart. You know, you have a secular, sacred divide. Uh, we do these things on Sunday for Christ in the church, and then we go to our jobs, whatever they are. Uh, and there doesn't seem to be much connection. So this this idea that there is a, a holistic call on our lives that involves our faith, it involves our profession, our work, everything that we do. Uh, I hope we can find a way to bring that back together in our Christian culture. In our Christian uh, culture, well, in our Christian lives, based on what Jesus taught us and what he modeled, proclamation and demonstration of the gospel have to go together. It, it did in most instances in the gospel, uh, in the four gospels. I think you know, I, I have professional colleagues who sometimes say, I will show my Christian faith by my loving, compassionate care of patients. Well, yes, we must do that, definitely. But we also must speak. Uh, and faith does come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if we don't speak, then that's not adequate uh, communication of the gospel. Um, I think there's been kind of a separation or divorce of um, proclamation and demonstration, preaching, healing. That must be brought back together because every believer, it's not just medical people, every believer is to care for the needs of others and to share the good news of Jesus. Uh, He sent the 12 out to preach and to heal every disease and sickness. He uh, sent the 70 out to do the same. So that would be our mandate as well. Mm-hmm. And that is true for every believer, I think. Now, now when I, I grew up and when you grew up, there were these great missionary statesmen. I, I remember uh, Dr. Baker James Cawthon. I'm sure you will know about him. He was the leader of the International Mission Board uh, back when I was a boy. In the... And when I was appointed a missionary. <laughs> was he? Okay. Yes. All right. Mm-hmm. He's just one name who came to mind. But there were others who called people to give their lives in what we call full-time Christian service, full-time missionary service. You did that. Uh, now it seems uh, that's 
certainly uh, being called into question in some places. Is there still a place for full-time Christian missionaries, particularly from the West, from North America, to go to other places in the world? We have a lot of emphasis on short-term missions and a lot of emphasis on different models of doing missions. Could you say just a little bit about that, what I consider uh, conceive of as a change in strategy and, and method? I think it's not either or. I think it's both and. Yes, I definitely think there is still a place for full-time vocational missions. I think God does direct people today to do that, and I do believe that God uses them to do that, and I think it is definitely something that should happen and will happen. Yes, we do use short-term people as well. Um, that should never be uh, something that's an excuse not to answer God's long-term call. But at the same time, it can be strategic mm-hmm. if it's partnered with people on the ground who can follow up, who can continue to, to work with the people and basically disciple them and form them into churches. You know, when I've traveled around the world and I've seen the the results of great missionary effort, like the Bangalore Hospital where you worked and many, many other schools and institutions and churches, uh, I'm just grateful for the wonderful investment that's been made over the years. And you see the results of that in changed lives. But there is also, I think, today a pushback against this idea that here you are in the West, you have all of these resources uh, we need to train indigenous leaders. We need to train people who uh, know the culture and it's their culture, and we're not kind of imposing something on them from the West. Could you say a little bit about that uh, debate, I guess, or that tension maybe it is? I think it shouldn't be a tension. Yes, we must train indigenous leaders, uh, and we're doing that in so many parts of the world. And and that's a very key necessity for the future growth of the church in, in every place. What about the places where there are no believers and mm. there are no indigenous mm. uh, people whom you can train as yet? Then obviously somebody, whether it's uh, someone from a near culture or someone from the West, uh, needs to present Jesus. Somebody has to introduce them to Jesus. So again, it's not one way that we do things. It's not one arm of a strategy. It's it's all these things working together. Actually, now missionaries, um, people going from one culture to another, actually they're coming more out of the third world mm-hmm. than they are out of mm-hmm. the West. It's true, isn't it? Um, yeah. It's very true. And that's wonderful. We we are very thankful, and, and I um, pray it only grows. But uh, all of us uh, need to be on mission. And, and I think we must also remember here in the West all of the incredible numbers of peoples who have come to us. They're around us in our communities. It's certainly true in North America. It is certainly true in Europe. And... Uh, We have opportunity to cross cultures without uh, traveling very far. Uh, Here at Beeson Divinity School, we pray for missions all of the time, and we have graduates of our school that are serving on every continent on earth in all kinds of different places. Some we can't say where they are. They're in restricted access areas of the world, but we pray for them regularly in our chapel. We lift them up to the Lord, uh, and many of them are serving at great personal risk 
just last week, but then when we're discussing this today, just last week we heard about four missionaries with the Wycliffe Bible translators who who lost their lives in uh, somewhere in the Middle East because they were given to the work of translating God's word. So there are those who put their lives on the line and sometimes are called to make that sacrifice. Talk about the the risk, the danger, if you will, um, the challenge that we face in a world where Christianity is sometimes uh, not welcomed. Christian missionaries are not welcomed. Uh, that is certainly a reality in many parts of the world. Uh, even in India, where I served for so many years, there is growing persecution and difficulty uh, Access is restricted to more and more countries every year. Um, and so when we think about unreached peoples, we, we know that often they're unreached because no one can get to them uh, with reality like that. Yes, we may face danger. We may face risk. Jesus told us we would. Uh, so we should not be surprised about this. Mm. And we should be able, even as the apostles did, to rejoice in suffering. Um, and that's what the scripture tells us. I once asked uh, an Indian pastor friend, uh, you know, I, I go to India now and and, uh, and I know the scriptures about persecution and I, I know God's promises and, and that's reality. But I myself have never faced getting up every day and wondering if it's my last because I'm going to be killed for my faith. And so I said to this pastor, um, when you go out in the field and you talk to church planters uh, who are facing this, uh, what do you say? How do you talk to them? He said, oh, he said, uh, not a problem. I was thinking, not a problem. Mm. He said, um, I tell them we're all going to die someday, and wouldn't it be a privilege if we could die for Jesus? And uh, this is the attitude that they have and therefore take great risk uh, in sharing their faith. And I think that uh, maybe kind of sums up uh, an attitude. It sounds like New Testament Christianity. Very much. Very <laughs> you know, much. There's a verse in the Bible that says they counted not their own lives dear. Exactly. But were willing to put it on the line for the sake of the gospel. And, uh, you know, all of us should be like that. Yeah, that's our call. Absolutely. You're a, you're a physician. You're a doctor. Uh, you're a missionary. You're also a student of the Bible. You read the Bible and no doubt learned it as a little girl in your father and mother's home and in your church. When you think about the Bible and verses that have meant a lot to you or passages that speak to you, what comes to mind? Probably one of the one of the verses that for all the years, uh, Proverbs chapter three verses five and six, uh, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lean not unto thine own understanding, in all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. The fact that He we're promised His direction. And don't we all need direction? Mm. Um, but the key is that we have to trust him. We have to submit. We can't put qualifications on it. Uh, we just lay everything out there and uh, don't try to figure it out. And he will direct our paths. It's been a very significant verse. Uh, there was a, a time when I was in India in our hospital, we faced some very major labor union issues in the hospital. 
uh, I was uh, my effigy was hanging over the front gate for six months, and oh and the hospitals on a national highway, so many people were privileged to have this view, and, um, and there were a lot of threats, uh, a lot of difficulty, and it was during that time that James one two became such a reality for me to count it all joy when you face trouble daily to just claim the joy of the Lord that I could be there and I could still work and I could still share my faith. Um, and though all this was going on around me, I could be joyful. Isaiah 43 uh, verses 1, 2, and 3 talk about when we go through the fire, we'll not be burned. We go through the river, we're not going to drown. Um, and sometimes uh, there were days that I felt like maybe I was drowning or burning. And that passage uh, meant a lot to me in a bad time. And actually, it was a patient who showed me those verses and pointed them out. She, she was a, a Westerner. I was going to operate on her. I went to pray with her before surgery. And she knew me well enough to know that I was going through a difficulty. Mm. And uh, before I could pray for her, she shared those verses. And they became really um, very, very significant in in my life and time as a missionary. That's a wonderful story. Here you are uh, serving this person and helping her in a medical situation, and she reaches out to you spiritually and your sisters in Christ, in the Lord. here in our beautiful Hodges Chapel at Beeson Divinity School, we have likenesses of different leaders of God's people through the ages, including some missionaries. Uh, Dr. Bill Wallace, uh, I remember reading his biography, uh, Bill Wallace of China, when I was uh, in high school, I guess. And then there's Lottie Moon, uh, the great missionary to, to China, uh, whom we remember, we who are Baptists remember, especially through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Uh, I see you, Dr. Naylor, in some ways uh, very much in that tradition of those great heroes of the faith. You've lived your life, not that you would be a hero or want to be one, but you've lived your life unstintingly in service for Christ, and God has used you in a wonderful way. There are some niches in Hodges Chapel that are not filled, and we left those deliberately vacant so that our students could look up there and be reminded that one day— there's a place for me there, too, maybe. Uh, as you think you're speaking now to all kinds of people that are listening to this podcast, pastors and, and lay leaders and God's people and just interested folks that, that listen, but speak right directly to young students, pastors in training and those who are giving their lives uh, for service to Christ. Uh, what would you say to them as they think about the future that God might have for them in his mission in this world? Well, certainly if they're still students, I would say to them, um, learn well. Use the, uh, be a good steward of your opportunity of education. Uh, study well. Uh, I would say to them that um, if God calls you to a specific ministry, he will definitely equip you, prepare you, sustain you. Um, uh, I would tell you to just throughout your life, continue to develop your spiritual disciplines, uh, time in God's word, time in prayer, uh, time in fellowship with other believers. Um, I, I would assure you 
that God keeps every promise. As it says in Joshua, not one promise has failed. Uh, I would assure you that God answers prayer. I would assure you that God is present with you and will not leave you. And I can assure you that God will give you joy. So uh, that would really be the word I would have for those coming along behind me. My guest today on the Beeson Podcast has been Dr. Rebecca Naylor. She served as a medical missionary with the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention in India uh, for many years, beginning in 1974. She's a wonderful leader of God's people, a missionary who's given her life uh, to serve others. Uh, if you want to read more about her life, uh, there's a biography of Dr. Rebecca Naylor. It's called Rebecca Ann Naylor, M.D., Missionary Surgeon in Changing Times, written by Camille Lee Hornbeck. I recommend that to you. Thank you, Dr. Naylor, for this wonderful conversation. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.